Hi, everybody. This is Norman with your daily podcast, We Go For It, sharing stories and observations for the boldly aspiring. This is Season 2, Episode 4. Season 2, The Underdogs. Episode 4, My Own Underdog Story, Coming of Age at 12, Part 2. In the previous episode, I told a little story about my baseball experience, which for me was a real coming of age experience for many reasons. And it actually ended pretty well at that point. And I could just leave things right there. But it turns out that the same year that I turned the corner on my quote unquote baseball career and started to tear it up and play really well, there was something else waiting for me around the corner, which really, as I look back today, it demonstrated really a lot about resilience, about being an underdog, about not realizing you're an underdog, and to a certain degree, what it takes to succeed, what it takes to get to where you want to go. And this particular story is really embarrassing, but it's pure coming of age. And let me just get give the details to you. As you know from the previous episode, my baseball quote-unquote career took off three years after I started playing. I started tearing it up at the batting. I was playing much better. And... What was interesting is that I always had the aspiration to be a pitcher. Now in baseball, for those of you who are who hail from other countries or you know are not too familiar with American baseball, the pitcher is the guy who throws the ball so that the guy with the stick, the batter, the bat, the guy with the bat tries to hit it. The pitcher is basically the focal point. He's constantly in motion, constantly in action. He th- can throw anywhere from 80 to 150 pitches in one game in the in the big leagues. So I wanted to be the center of it, of in the center of the action. I wanted to be the pivotal person. It, it, I I thought I thought I could do it. Well, my abilities at the time uh, were very inferior to my aspiration. But I was practicing the same way with the same dogged determination. I had practiced uh, hitting, fielding, whatever. And I had this grand illusion that I could pitch, that I could eventually be an effective pitcher and get people out. So I practiced on my own. I practiced with um, some friends every, you know, as consistently as I could. I watched a lot of Yankee baseball, and I made it known to my coach that I wanted to to pitch. And I, in my own unassuming way, I continued to to push my my agenda. So here we were. We were now playing in the intramural leagues. So I was playing in two leagues at this time. I was good enough to play in the intramural league, and we were playing other schools. 
in, within the uh, within the within the the um, uh, the archdiocese, uh, you know, the the the, the church organization. So we, we were playing a lot of different teams from other schools that we, we had never played before, and it was really fun. I had never done that, and I I've, I found it really exciting. I was hitting well and playing pretty well, mostly in the outfield. I was moved around a lot. And I don't know how it happened, but one day we were playing a team. I forget the name of the team. And we, for some reason, the coach said, okay, uh, Norman, uh, you're, you're going to pitch. You're the starting pitcher. So I was really excited. And I got ready, warmed up, got out there on the field. And it's really amazing how when you think about something so long, something that you've wanted to do, you imagine it, you look, you, you just kind of, I guess, semi-visualize it, whatever, and you, you, you jump out there. You know, there's something to be said about being ready and not being ready. And to put it quite bluntly, I was absolutely not ready. For anybody who's pitched, you know, there's a, a bit of a distance from where the pitcher stands and where the catcher is, where he has to throw the ball. And I, was, I, I just remember getting up there and I stood there and I looked down at the catcher and I said to myself, wow, this is really far. This is farther than I thought. So I'm, I'm there and I, I start warming up. At that time, this was this was now um, what year was it at the point at that point uh, it was nineteen seventy nine, okay. I was a few months shy of my thirteenth birthday, and it was the last season of Catfish Hunter's career. It was a great pitcher for the Oakland Athletics and then the New York Yankees. He finished his career as a Yankee, and. I really liked him. I thought he was great. I liked his delivery. And so, you know, I started, I was imitating his delivery, <laughs> you know, the way I thought it should be done. I thought it was good. And so I'm there doing my catfish hunter impersonation and warming up and okay, start getting ready. Look, that, that, that plate looked real far. <laughs> and so the first batter gets up and um, I walked him on four balls. In baseball, for any of you who are not familiar, if you throw four pitches that do not go within a little area called a strike zone, a zone that is determined by the umpire, a zone that is uh, fixed actually, but the, the umpire, the referee calls it, uh, then the batter can go to first base. He, can, he gets a free pass. So the first guy, I walked on four pitches. It turned out that I walked nine people in a row on 36 pitches. You do the math. I did not get one ball in the strike zone. And I remember that the other team was, they were, they were really happy. <laughs> they were like, wow, I was like the, the 10th player, you know, their 10th player just you know, getting people on board, and I kept throwing balls, doing my little catfish hunter impersonation, and and I remember my teammates uh, saying, "What, what, what, what kind of a delivery are you using? What are you doing?" And the ball was definitely not getting over the plate, and I just kept going. I was like, "Well, I'm here. 
I, I'm doing what I said I wanted to do, and uh, I just kept going. It was really funny because I was definitely the center of attention. I was definitely the pivot guy, and uh, for all the wrong reasons. And everyone was either yelling at me or laughing at me or cheering for me because I was doing so badly for the other team. And finally, the coach gave me the hook. After I walked the ninth guy, he came in and pulled me out. The other team started protesting because they were saying, oh, no, come on, keep him in there. This guy, is, he's, he's really good for us, you know, all those types of things. And my other, my, my teammates were just happy that I got the, the heck out of there. So, you know, I walked to the sideline, back to the dugout. And, you know, it was, this is where I, I, as I look back, I say to myself, what the heck was going on through your mind, Norman? And it was, I remember that I, you know, came out of the game and uh, it was embarrassing. I mean, really embarrassing when you think about it. You're in front of quite a few people, two teams and the spectators that were there. And I, I must admit, I, I didn't cry. I didn't feel bad. I was more angry that I hadn't done so well, more angry with myself. And then something happened, and actually what it was, was that it was more than anything else, I was curious. Very curious. I was like, okay, what went wrong? And what, what am I going to do to fix it? Because I still had in my head, I wanted to pitch. And I thought to myself, well, this is just didn't quite work out right. It didn't, it didn't quite work. And I just kind of jumped in at the deep end and uh, basically drowned. But I didn't give up on what I wanted to do. I didn't. I just said, no, well, okay. Uh, it didn't work out today, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on it. You know, and I, <laughs> I don't know if it's positive or anything. I, I think it's more um, pragmatic and trying to find a solution. I think there are always solutions. And this was something that I looked, I looked at it in this way at that age, you know, I was going on 13, but I was really determined, not in any dramatic kind of way, not in any forced kind of way, just simply a quiet determination. Uh, I guess that that's more my character. There are other people who are very volatile, very, very, uh, um, big and loud and all that. and, And that's fine too. Uh, I, I didn't demonstrate that. So I, you know, went off on my own and tried to figure out what had gone wrong. I changed my delivery. I thought about maybe just focusing on the basics, which is how about let's try and get the ball over the plate without aiming, of course. That was something I was told, don't aim the ball. And so I started working on it. I, I changed my way of throwing the ball a little bit. I came more over the top, more my own style, and not that it was any, not that it was great or anything. I don't think so. But at that time, it started to work, and I remember for some crazy, <laughs> some crazy reason, the the coach a couple of weeks later he put me back in. He said, "Let's give it another shot." I guess he saw me practicing on the sidelines, and he thought, "Okay." He, he might be, you know, safe and maybe we can pull him out, you know, if it gets too, we'll pull him out sooner. He was probably kicking himself for having left me in there so long. And so I remember I got that ball again and I went up there 
And I thought to myself, I'm going to focus on one thing. And I found that to be interesting, the idea of focusing on one thing. And it was get the ball over the plate. Maybe you'll throw hard, maybe you won't, you'll get some spin on the ball, whatever. I wasn't at that point yet. Get the ball over the plate. So I did. I remember I pitched three innings, didn't walk anybody. Nobody hit me that hard. But I do remember my teammates kind of admonishing me for not throwing very hard. They said, what are you doing? you got to throw harder. I was like, "That's in my mind, I was thinking, well, that's the best I can do right now. I'm getting the ball over the plate. I'm taking it easy. They're not hitting me so hard. It wasn't a very strong team. And I think I may have given up a couple of runs. Eventually, I I came out. I had pitched my part. We won the game. I didn't walk anybody. And I got this... I kind of created this imprint again of what it looks like to just get that ball over the plate. And over time, I started to get stronger and throw harder, um, build build my ability. I never became a great pitcher, but in that particular league that I was playing in, the Parish League, I was good enough to be a starting pitcher, win a lot more games than I lost. I would never be mistaken for an ace or a flamethrower, but I was solid. And maybe that's as far as I would have ever gone. I don't know. I really don't know. I didn't continue playing baseball a few years later uh, when we uh, moved away from the United States for a few years. And uh, that was a shame because I really loved it. But I did learn a lot from that experience when I just jumped in. And you hear all these people talking about, you know, the right time is now, there's no better time than now, and you can't wait for all the lights to be green, and you know, what do you, and you know something, to a certain degree, they're right, but you'd better be prepared to handle the imminent failures, the big ones too, potentially embarrassing, and I believe, and this was maybe where the coming of age part and I use that term very loosely, coming of age in terms of creating a story that I can refer back to, because I guess I had these qualities for whatever reason already. It's not patting myself on the back. It's just simply looking at it in hindsight. And my, the references I created have really helped me today as I advance on different fronts, um, advance on different projects, as I, uh, just going back 20 years, back to around 2002 when I made probably one of the most naive, crazy jumps of my life and I paid dearly for it and then I was rewarded beyond handsomely for it and there you go again and I think that it just imprinted in my mind when you really want to do something you just got to start moving and Many people talk about procrastination, that uh, in order to stop procrastinating, you have to start acting. And and I really believe that. Just got to get out and messily start getting it done, start doing something, and start working and fixing it as you go. And, of course, there is a lot to be said for planning. I had planned. I had prepared myself for in my mind. I didn't just go out completely crazy, 
But at some point, I had to get out there, and apparently my planning wasn't so great. <laughs> I was not at all ready, and I took my lumps. And I think that those lumps are inevitable if you're going to step out boldly and boldly aspire to something new, something different, something better, something that you want, you're going to take your lumps. And you just have to take that in stride. And one of the things that I realized that helped me to take things in stride was my ability to become curious. I call it an ability. I don't know if that's the right word to use. But my natural, how could I say my natural way of being and that, you know, I get curious about it. It's like, well, okay, well, this didn't work. So, you know, what am I supposed to do? I call that positive thinking. That's positive thinking, pragmatic thinking. It's not, you know, you know, what, what do we say? It's not, you know, uh, some kind of a chant and let's get all excited and let's become cheerleaders. No, no, I don't see it like that. I think positive thinking where it's really more pragmatic problem solving, looking at what's gone, what's gone wrong and saying, okay, well, what are we going to do to make it better? And understanding that you can make it better. And even if you're not sure that you can, you make the effort because, and we always go back to my fundamental prerequisite, which is, you're going for something that you really have to have. We're talking about love. We're talking about being in harmonious vibration with. And when we do that, it's not a matter of, you know, if I want or I don't know. No, no, no. It's more a matter of, okay, let me figure out. Let me use my natural creative abilities and my mental faculties to figure out how to get it done. It's not about whether I want to. I know I want it and I have to have it. That's a really important part of this whole equation, so to speak, of living, I don't know, we could say successfully, of living a more fulfilled life, of living a life that you choose. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. My little story, uh, my little coming-of-age story that has, you know, that I carry with me you know, deep into middle age now and deep as I continue to move forward and I stumble forward and get back up and try new things and try to be a better person and live the life that I've chosen or that I am choosing every day. And I hope that my story might kind of remind you of your own and they could be as unassuming on the outside as mine, as uh, as anonymously unassuming as mine, but that mean the world to each and every one of you out there in terms of your own story. So take that time. Try and remember who you are, who you were, some of your stories, where you, where you came of age, where you created some references that can serve you today. I just want to thank you for your time. And wherever you are around the world, whichever time zone you are gracing with your presence, whether it's the evening or the morning or the afternoon, I wish you a great one. And I look forward to speaking with all of you and to hearing and to getting your feedback tomorrow. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye.